0: all warfare is based on deception hence when we are able to attack we must seem unable when using our forces we must appear inactive when we are near we must make the enemy believe we are far away when far away we must make him believe that we are near sun tzu A work of military strategy whose timeless advice far surpasses military battles. Hello, and welcome to the Book Club Juxtapositions Podcast, a book club where we discuss two pieces of literature and juxtapose them based on theme, plot, author style, societal norms, and basically just how the book grabs you. All of the interesting things that make for a great spoiler filled book club
1: discussion. Did you say spoiler filled? Yes, I said spoiler filled. In each episode we will mainly focus on one of the literary pieces. With all good literature one can help but make comparisons and connections to other literary works and in life. In the second episode
0: we will examine the same ideas with the counterpiece of literature. This is just a fun way to compare and contrast two pieces of literature and have a lively discussion. This is an adult podcast intended for adult listeners and we may use adult language. Adult
1: language? What the hell? In this episode, we will juxtapose The Quest for Power in The Art of War by Sun Tzu versus The Prince by Machiavelli, as told through different literary characters. So seriously, on this one, guys, spoiler alert. I know we say that, but big time spoiler alert because we're going to be using different pieces of literature to explore these two books. So if you're real sensitive to spoilers, uh, you may want to consider that. And then the next thing we want to talk about is just this whole idea of pronunciations because I've always heard it as Sun Tzu. And then, Kimberly, how, how have you been taught? Um, I
0: was just listening to a video that talked about that the actual pronunciation doesn't use the U for Sun Tzu. It's Sun Z like TZ together, so Sun Z. So we're going to kind of like go back and forth with those because naturally we say Sun Tzu. But right. we're going to, you know, I, I've been trying to practice saying Sun Zi. So we mean the exact same thing, potato, potato.
1: <laughs> ah, Exactly. I'm Tracy May, author, multi-award winning screenwriter and former educator. And I'm Kimberly Andy,
0: travel writer, former educator and creator of the blog, Lily Pats of Curiosity.
1: The Art of War by Sun Tzu was an ancient Chinese treatise on military strategies and tactics. Lust. Money, love, greed, jealousy,
0: anger, all can drive even the most humane of us to their moral limits. But what about power? The quest for power conquered empires, destroyed cultures, and brought many to their demise. The ability to control or influence history
1: itself, to hold it all in your hands. Power, the ultimate aphrodisiac. As we were researching for this episode, we discovered different interpretation of Sun Tzu's work. Neither one of us are claiming to be experts or historians. We only wanted to think about his ideas and how they may apply to our modern-day realities. And we are not alone. We found books on the art of war for dating and multiple articles applying his strategies to business and self-help skills. Yeah, like
0: this book is found in every self-help section in the library. You have the art of... Everything. The Art of War for dating, the Art of War for business, the Art of War for cooking, the Art of War for you know raising a pet. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm gonna get
1: you the Art of War for how to grow a plant in your house. <laughs> the, the plant will die, so really I will win. Maybe I, maybe I should write the book. Maybe you should write the book. Yes. Hey. Just ignore it. You're welcome, world. <laughs> Both the prince and the art of war discuss the weaponization of deception to gain the upper hand whether on your opponent in war or for your quest for power. So
0: is all warfare deception? Is that what Sun Tzu says?
1: Yeah, all warfare is based in deception. So if you're thinking about that, for example, if you were to do a job interview, how would you apply that to our modern day way of thinking?
0: Well, Sun Tzu says arguing warfare is a psychological warfare. So if you're thinking about not going into a job interview as a battle, but it is kind of a battle to be won to get that job. So let's see, if you go into a job interview and you don't know anything about the company, following the first step in Sun Tzu, he says, Know yourself, know your enemy. So if you don't know your enemy, meaning, the company that you're applying for, and I don't mean that literally, like they're your enemy, but it's understanding how to win this battle.
1: And I've actually had people, have, when I've gone in for job interviews, ask me to tell them about their company. Which so is very good. Information is to, power.
0: If you don't walk in there knowing something about the company, where's training start? Like, right. way back in square one, and do you want to have to spend your time training somebody? who
1: you know, Or even that they would care enough to look up the company before they Right, understand,
0: be yeah. part of the team before you join that. Right. right? So understanding the enemy, know spend a lot of time and understand everything about the company and then know exactly where you're going to fit in and how you can enhance that. So you have to know yourself, what are your strengths and what are you going to be able to contribute. One of the other things that I was reading about that really connected to the job interview idea was when you when you get the job and you go in and you see that everybody's good at one thing, don't jump in and then try to be better than them at that one thing. Find something that nobody else is good at and then be the master of that. So they have to come to you for that, being the master of that, which is really cool too. To, to think know about your own that. strength. Know your strengths and know, you know, the number of the masses. In that, he has these concrete strategies connecting to the warfare of the psychological warfare. So the first one being when able to attack, you must seem unable. Secondly, using our forces, we must seem inactive.
1: So everything is kind of a paradoxical to psych your enemy out. When you're near make the enemy believe you're far away. Exactly. When you're far away, make them believe that you're near. Pretend to be weak, even though you are strong. So I applied that
0: when I hiked the PCT because remember you were really worried about what if I saw a bear?
1: <laughs> and I said,
0: I said, uh, don't worry. know the bear is not going to get me because I'm just going to make myself look really big <laughs> and scare that bear away. And yell really loud, which is an actually true technique, I guess I say, to use. And guess what? I'm still here, and I didn't get
1: eaten by a bear on the PCT. I don't think that strategy would have made me feel better or not worry about you, by the way, when you were gone. It convinced my mom. (laughs) So, but if you think about it, like different historical figures and how they may have used propaganda and these strategies for psychological warfare. Because to me, propaganda is probably the biggest psychological warfare. For so historically, like Stalin. Exactly. Stalin is the one, absolutely the one. And maybe because we both know Orwell's Animal farm farm so well. So everything was opposite there. Orwellian concepts are absolutely Sun Tzu's kind of psychological war concepts.
0: Yeah, and using that, there's two ways to look at this using the psychological warfare. You can use it for good and you can use it for bad, depending on which side of the fence you're standing on. So, I'm thinking like in Stalin in an animal farm, he used it for what we're looking what we consider to be bad, you know to manipulate and take over and control his masses. But if you look at you know we talked recently um in a way earlier episode about the train and winter and the French resistance and so if we think about how the women and the the people during the French resistance during World War II they used these same kinds of psychological warfare. When they were able to attack, they must seem unable. So they were able to attack using the propaganda, using the being able to pass out the materials, you know, underground materials, and they had to seem like they were just complying with the Germans during the French resistance. They had to see using their forces. When using our forces, you must seem inactive. They, again, they had to seem like they were just completely complying, but yet they were underground, very active. When you're near, you must make your enemy seem that you're far away. Same thing. You know, all of these really apply to all of these different situations that I think that, you know, it depends on which strategy
1: you're looking at. Is it for good or is it for bad? And I think, too, in that one, they were, a lot of them were women. The Mm -hmm. ones, the books we were reading were talking about women and how they were just inherently underestimated and therefore they were able to be such... A useful force and exactly. such a
0: powerful force, and a, and you know, a sneaky like,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, because they used a, a perceived weakness to their advantage, right? And something too, we were talking about different literary characters and how they pretended to be weak, that they the others might grow arrogant. For example, I'm a huge fan, and I think I've mentioned this in previous episodes of the Ripley series, Patricia Highsmith's books, the the Ripley series. And you know, you look at something like the Talented Mr. Ripley and how Tom Ripley was able to seem like a little bit of a naive character that they were bringing in to this world, and yet he was the one that was the puppet master all along, and he was manipulating their preconceptions of him to basically destroy their lives and take their lives. Or if you look at Anne Dunn and Gone Girl, the whole book, I mean, she's actually doing this, using the Art of War strategies, the whole first half of the book, where she is pretending to be this hurt victim in a lot of ways and really she was again she was the one pulling all the lovers and and pulling all the strings in the environment because the entire audience as well as her husband believed that she was a weak character or if you look historically if you look at Shakespeare's work Shakespeare's Othello or Brutus the thing that crushed Julius Caesar was that Brutus was pretending all along when he decided to be one of the conspirators and that's what in the end literally killed Caesar because of that. So I think and we'll talk more so like when, literally like, flatter him to death. Literally flatter him to death. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. Quite literally. The vanity. What about uh Littlefinger with the Game of Thrones? You know, Littlefinger is such an interesting character. I'm such a huge fan and, and not just because Aiden Gillen played him, but Yes, Jon Snow. <laughs> she still loves you. <laughs> <laughs> I do love and I'm unfortunately I I love the actor who played Littlefinger, maybe not necessarily <laughs> Littlefinger, but He was absolutely, and I think when we get to the prince's work, he actually is more accurately described as Machiavellian than I would say Sun Tzu, but... Well, I think that um, George R. R. Martin, the author of Game of Thrones, he does talk a lot about how he
0: studied Machiavelli's prince and based Game of Thrones around that. The whole battle strategies, everything about that came from Princess Machiavelli, which is the opposite of... Yeah, because that
1: whole book is about power. Right. And the quest for power. So I, I absolutely believe that. And I think too. You know, we'll get more into that. But Littlefinger, he he uses the strategies, but he is the master at manipulative Machiavellian strategies. Machiavellian. So that's the
0: opposite side. But what about today? What about modern allusions to the art of war? Why is it still referenced or how is it still referenced today? You know, it's interesting
1: because I was preparing for this episode and I was watching The Morning Show, which is the new Apple TV show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. And there was a scene where Billy Crudup was talking to Mark Duplass and he quoted uh, The Art of War. And the big one, obviously, would be the, the Charlie Sheen... Michael Douglas scene in in Wall Street when (laughs) he refers to it. But it kind of gets to why illusions are so powerful because, you know, they're making these illusions to something like the art of war. And I, I think as an audience member, I remember watching Wall Street for the first time and that really sticking in my head and then maybe me wanting to research what the art of war was because of that, learning something and then connecting it to something else and then connecting it to something else. So I think allusions are just natural bridgeways to that kind of learning. But I would definitely say that allusions are my favorite literary element. And I hate to admit this, but it's a little like, look at me, I'm smart. I can can make a reference to something really big and powerful and you'll think I'm cool. Yes, that's how I roll.
0: Yes, because then they are gonna get me with that deception, and then you are <laughs> smack it out. <laughs> so what she d- wins. You-, you win every of uh, every one of those uh, game shows, Jeopardy, and all that. Oh, dang it. I'm, I'm,
1: Don't ask me to do fifth grade math. But <laughs> no, my, are you smarter than a fifth grader? I'm smarter than a fifth grader, but I will definitely win trivia. There you go. Um, So what do you think is the fundamental difference between the two authors' messages? So if we're looking to compare these two books. I think uh, Machiavelli is more upfront about it, and he comes across across like harsher, diabolical,
0: manipulative genius. But uh, Sun Tzu advocates to avoid battles as much as possible. So, like, choose your battles. Know when it's important to actually have to go to battle. And when you do, know your enemy and know yourself. And, and win. And win. But because you've held off. And have those strategies right. so that your chances of winning, you're not just going in there like, you know, like a bull and just hoping that you get it done. You know, choose your battles. Where Machiavelli prioritizes war as a preparation for war. So, I don't know. What, is, what do you think Sun Tzu's most sage piece of advice is then?
1: Well, I think I think what I found interesting, too, is that, you know, in in the big philosophical, he's giving us these big philosophical messages. But I thought also in the book was some really just good concrete strategies, like make sure that you're not facing the sun when you go to battle. I mean, that's the (laughs) kind of stuff where you're like, you can see if you weren't prepared, you might be like, oops, well, that's not good. But I think as far as more of a philosophical thing, when he's talking about, you know, don't repeat your tactics, When you've gained your victory don't let them assume that they know what you're going to do just like always change up your game choose your battles know yourself always changing up your game and then something he said too he said therefore just as water retains no constant shape so in warfare there are no constant conditions which i again just loved both in concrete but also in philosophical for me i i thought my favorite piece of advice was that you know pretending to be weak that your enemy might grow arrogant, and maybe that's because my all-time favorite television show and television character from childhood to now is Columbo. Oh, and I think every episode of Columbo, he's using Sun Tzu's The Art of War because the way he gets every one of his his killers is that he pretends to be
0: this like dopey, dopey, kinda, like, like,
1: "Oh, well, explain it to me," right? It, and then they usually huh. basically out themselves in their arrogance. <laughs> I think using arrogance against anyone is is a pretty positive life strategy, not just a war strategy.
0: Well, because um, I think that that goes along with know yourself, know your enemy, but also just understanding that There's a lot of other things that Sun Tzu says as far as leadership and not battle, but leadership. You have to be a good leader in order to have a good army underneath you to be able to win a battle. So even if that...
1: Valuing your people. I think that a lot of times these more dictator-like, you know, leaders with more dictator-like tendencies kind of feel like they're better than everyone.
0: So when you think about in your history and in your life, who are the people you want to model yourself after that you feel like... Have had the biggest impact on you as far as bringing out the best in you. Now start to model those kinds of things. So then you get to know yourself and you get to now actively pursue being the person that you want to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we could all look at our parents and I'll look at our family and friends. I think historically for me, that would be Frida Kahlo because I look at Frida Kahlo and she, poor woman, suffered so painfully in her life after a bus accident in her teen years and then took all of that pain and kind of shared it with the world and made art that's timeless and beautiful because right. it was real. And I think for me, for her to be able to take that and turn that around is was definitely impactful in my life.
0: But I'm just saying, like, you know, as far as looking at this as a as a technique that you use, that why do you go to the store and get a self-help book? You know, why would somebody go do that? I'm kind of thinking along those lines that okay, so now who do you connect that to in
1: emulating? Looking at role models in a different way.
0: Yeah, so now you're going to utilize the information that you're getting from a book like this. And, you know, I'm referring to The Art of War as being a self-help book because in modern times it's say that we're not trying to plan a, a battle on the driveway. We're we're planning battle of our life and how we're going to manipulate through. So how do you now utilize that and make it your manuscript for your life? Like, how you how do you get something best out of it?
1: You have to connect so it. So not to think else. of it in an evil, manipulative, ha, 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 mm. you know, Disney villain kind of way, but more of a how do you use it for your own personal right.
0: growth? I guess what I'm thinking about the two different books is we're juxtaposing those. Is I think of The Art of War as being something, like, artistic. How do you bring out the art and the value in your life and what you're doing. And it Prince the Machiavelli. I feel it is the Mac of evil. In your face. So if you're trying to find a way to like dominate somebody and be, you know, evil. Right. Then pick up the Prince. The right. and Machiavelli's The Prince. If you're trying to figure out ways to go through your life and be successful and, and utilize tools in front of you, Art of War.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at it, actually. Okay, good. Yeah,
0: a way more positive <laughs> approach. Way more, way more. So what is the central idea discussed in the book? What do you think then, obviously, other than what we're talking about, the, you know, the psychological are there issues or ideas that the author explores? Are they? Are they I, I think you've, I
1: think actually you've said that. I think you've summed that up really well. Is that looking at a way to avoid war? Be ready if it happens, and know yourself.
0: Well, and if you know yourself, and you're and you are following these guidelines to be, you know, to utilize the energy that the positive things and have people around you. That you can lead but are also going to bring to the table things that are going to bring out the best in everybody because that's the energy that you're absorbing then you don't have a failure that you now have to go to war against you're not dealing with Oh, that. so
1: it's proactive strategies. Yeah, definitely
0: pro- I, That's how I'm looking at it. Yeah, like, yeah that's great. So then, you don't, then you're never put in that position. And then if you are put in that position, you know how to handle it so that you're not put in that position
1: unnecessarily or for a long time. Well, we would love to know what you think. You can check us out on our social media, Twitter account, at Book Club juxus or our Facebook account, Book Club Juxtapositions. If you could, and rate us and subscribe us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, That would be fantastic.
0: For our next episode, we are going to talk about The Prince with uh, Machiavelli. When your name becomes an adjective, your ideas have become iconic and noteworthy. What if even Oxford Dictionary says your name has become personified with cunning and scheming and and unscrupulous? That's what we're talking about with The Prince um, with Machiavelli. And our next episode will be posted on March
1: 9th. Our next month's books will be A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf versus Dorothy Parker. Now, because we picked a Dorothy Parker more, more of an anthology of her work, here are the stories in that anthology or a anthology that we will be focusing on. Horsey, the Waltz. And Mrs. Post's enlarges on etiquette. So, whatever Dorothy Parker Parker selection you have, those are the three stories we'll be focusing on.
0: So, we'll be focusing on Women's History Month with that that theme. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with us. Ciao, bellas. Ciao, bellas. <laughs>